Hey guys, it's Kristen here over in Denmark. Um, it's great to be talking to you, first of all, and I hope you guys are enjoying the pod so far uh, with Miranda at Real Baby Bird uh, and Kate and Chris as usual. Um, but you know what hearing my voice means. It means we went extra long, uh, and that means we get to split this episode into two episodes. Um, this was supposed to be one episode of, uh, Leia Princess of Alderaan, um, by Claudia Gray. Uh, we were supposed to be wrapping up that book today, um, but we will be wrapping up that book today, uh, part one, um, and then next week you will get, uh, part two. So this is Book Wars Pod, uh, episode 79. Um, but I miss you guys. I'll talk to you guys soon. Please enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 79 of the Book Wars pod. Today we are wrapping up Leia, Princess of Alderaan. I'm Miranda, here with Kate and Chris. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, you did so well, yay! Oh, thank you. Baby's <laughs> first it. time. It was, aw, that was great. <laughs> that, was, that was perfect. Nailed it. Nobody, nobody would have noticed that it was your first time except for the fact that now we're here making a big deal out of it, so. I mean, also, I've never done it before, so if long-time listeners of the pod noticed that it was me i think they'd kind of put two and two together pretty quickly i don't know you were the one who just now was just like i have listened to over a million episodes of this podcast and i don't know what to say (laughs) you know i did not come out to be attacked right now (laughs) marina's been like um parenting us to to get to finally um fucking recording the podcast because she's like it's like chris and i are in a fucking tizzy because of fuck shit that is going on just life just life we don't need to talk about it no i'm just very briefly gonna be like fuck shit that is going on that we are not going to discuss right now because oh my god but if you know what it is then you know what it is anyway we're talking about my rum yeah you've got like a cocktail worth of rum (laughs) like like an entire cocktail with just rum how much is a cocktail worth of rum i don't it's um that is just under half of a it's like two fingers low glass it's two fingers that's like a normal drink Uh, entirely of rum i mean i don't drink rum i would drink that of whiskey but yeah yeah fuck you chris didn't you drink that like with tequila two weeks ago Yes. She has more. Te- she has more rum than I had. Tequila, that is I'm confident. completely false. I really? <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's true. I. Mm. <laughs> well, I have this much whiskey, and I might get more. So. So, then don't at me, sir. <laughs> yeah, this is. Uh, it's a little better with water. What do you, Chris? Chris. Well, so okay. I'm drinking. I'm drinking Sazerac Rye, which I think I've mentioned on the pod before. Um, is not my favorite because it is. It's ju- the mash bill is just 51% rye, so the minimum legal level um, for uh, it to be called rye. And the rest is corn, which uh, I am not the biggest fan of bourbon, uh, only because it's a little bit sweet for me. Little, like, it can be a little bit cloying. Um, there are bourbons that I love, but in general, it's not my fave. And so this is a very bourbony rye. Um, 
However, I added a little water to it, and it's it's a little better. The spiciness is coming out a little bit. Okay. Which is what I like in rye, which it's impossible to find rye that's like that because I'm apparently a fucking freak and nobody actually likes that in rye. <laughs> Everybody's like, drink a smooth a... rye. How do you not find a rye that's spicy? Isn't that like the whole shit? I know. Like, I swear, like, anytime I'm like looking for like new ryes, they're like really smooth, like kind of like a bourbon. I'm like, if I wanted a bourbon, I would drink a bourbon. Oh my God. Can you direct me to those ryes? Because I don't usually like them, but I love bourbon. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, you might like Sazerac rye, matter Great. of fact. Chris is like every single rye is like that. <laughs> Which I know is not true, but. Uh, you know what? I, it made me really mad because I found a rye that I fucking loved. And it's called Templeton Rye. And their whole thing oh, was yeah. like, oh, it's like this like super old recipe, blah, 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 blah. And then it comes out that, A, it's like not even theirs. They just straight up buy the rye from another distillery, which whatever, like... Other places do that. They're more honest about it, but like other places do that and just mix it themselves. Except then it comes out that they don't just mix it. They take the whiskey, they take the rye from, I want to say it's Buffalo Trace and flavor think, yeah. it. Pretty sure. That's like true. they don't, they don't mix it with another whiskey. They put like flavoring in it to make it taste the way they want, which is, which makes me angry. It's weird. Yeah. That's a no for me, dog. Yeah. And it was really good too. So, so like, I, I was like my go-to rye, but now I'm like, well, gotta find a new one now. It's like, it's like when you buy juice and it's just like, none of this is actually real juice. It's like 20% juice. (laughs) Yeah. That bitch was from concentrate. Oh my God. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Anyway, if our, if our listeners have any recommendations for a good uh, rye on the spicier side, hit me up because i'm looking or any good bourbon because you know or good bourbon i who doesn't like bourbon yeah i like all whiskey bourbons just like sometimes they can be a little like cloying and sweet for me is my only problem with them but i have a bourbon here that i love that i was considering drinking tonight which is from one eight distilling in dc so basically any whiskey recommendations hit me up yeah no you just want your just want your alcohol to kick you in the nuts (laughs) So, yeah. Speaking of kick, kicking people in the nuts, I don't have any, actually. Anyway, uh, but I am drinking a shit ton of rum. I'm sorry. It's I'm a like weird transition. Really cracked out right now. It is. It is fine. I can't talk today. It was a snow day. My brain's not online. It's gonna be fine. Um, I have been drinking a Smith and Cross rum because it's a rum day for me. It's a lot of rum. We're gonna we're gonna see how this goes. I have. Not really, honestly, a whole lot to say about rum. You just want a whole spiel about your your rye, and I'm like, I have rum. <laughs> I want. I need to learn more about. I've I've talked about this on the pod. I feel like before, but I really want to learn more about rum and like, because there's basically mm-hmm. no fucking rules to it. Right. Is my understanding, right. and like basically anything that you distill from sugar of any kind can be called rum. And so like rums from all the different Latin American countries all taste different because they're all like distilled differently. And I just want to learn more about that because it sounds wild. fascinating to me. It's wild, but also very cool. Yeah. After like whiskey, which is like fucking regulated at the government level and tequila, which is a much narrower definition than people think it is. Mm-hmm. So rum weird. is just the opposite. <laughs> Miranda's just like, sure. What do you have, Miranda? I mean, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm drinking wine tonight. Uh, Ooh. It is a Pinot Noir. It's an Oregon wine. Um, I don't know anything else about it. I got it on sale at the grocery store, so that's why I picked it. <laughs> that sounds perfect. 
But it, the, the sale price was like $15. So I was like, this seems like it'd be a good wine. There you go. It's uh-huh. tasty. Tastes like grapes. <laughs> Thank you, Miranda. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. It's grape, grape notes to it. Oh my fucking yeah. God. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, speaking of wine, because Alderaan loves it, shall we talk uh, about Ah, uh, and now there's none left. Oh my God. Yeah, we're going to... No, there is still wine from Alderaan left in the galaxy. It's just... Like it's just harder to find. Two bottles of it. <laughs> you will not find it on sale at your grocery store. That is accurate. <laughs> it, yes. Very, very true. Um, I'm going to need, like, I'm just going to say I'm going to need, like, more alcohol to, like, get through this sad fucking episode where it's just, like, you just... I know. Already going into this in a good frame of mind. I know. Crying about it. Oh, you know what would help if I switched the tab on my computer to the outline so we could discuss things? Yes, right. that would help. Um, so the first thing I wanted to talk about... Oh, God. This is going to be such a weird episode. Sorry in advance, everybody. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about um, is this concept of destiny and Leia being able to choose her own destiny. This is kind of a carryover conversation from our first episode where we were talking about... Um, how much choice does she have? And, of course, it kind of plays into talking about destiny because, of course, the Force is involved and all this crazy shit happens. Um, so, I'm just kind of wondering, like, you know, Leia is, at the end of the book, as the Crown Princess of Alderaan, she thinks she has her future set out before her. She thinks she's going to be queen. She's going to rule over the planet one day. Um, she She thinks she knows what the rest of her life is going to look like. And then Alderaan gets blown the fuck up. So, where does that come into play in terms of, like, how Leia frames her destiny, I guess? And, like, how she, I don't know, starts reimagining how things are going to be. We don't get a lot of it in the original trilogy because men wrote it, but... (laughs) Yeah. You know. I mean, I think... And this is like kind of going back to the argument that I was making that y'all didn't necessarily agree with in our first episode. Like to me, Leia is very much the master of her own destiny. Uh, Like, you know, you look at all the choices she makes compared to, I think we specifically compared her to Obi-Wan, who we've, we've kind of determined is kind of a soldier of fate. Like he just, he just does what circumstance demands of him and doesn't really have a choice. Um, (laughs) To me, Leia, like, I don't know. I, I'm i not positive that I have it, like, completely delineated in my mind of, like, what the difference between them is. But to me, Obi-Wan's duties and lack of choices are built out of actual structural things. Like, he had to become a Jedi because he was, you know, raised by the Jedi. And he had to uh, train Anakin because... His master made him promise on his fucking deathbed. Like, that's not a choice. And, like, you know, then he had to go to war. And then he had to, you know, go into exile. Because if he didn't, then, you know, the galaxy would perish. Because there would be no one left. And, like, all these things that he, like, didn't really choose to do. Like, he had to do them because there was not a realistic alternative. Right. Like, I feel like he's made one actual choice in his life when he was probably, like, fucking 18. And trying to protect his teen on Mandalore. And had to decide whether he was gonna fuck off with her or not and 
He and stayed we'll on see. the straight and narrow because fucking Obi-Wan. And we'll see if we get any of this in Master and Apprentice, but like... Speaking of Claudia Gray. <laughs> from, from what, you know, looking back at Clone Wars, like he talks to Satine. I don't remember the episode names in Clone Wars, but it's the first Mandalore arc when they're going back to Coruscant. And I'm pretty sure it's called the Duchess of Mandalore. <laughs> there you go. And they're like on the ship and he straight up says to her, if you'd asked me, I would have left the Jedi Order. But again, that's not a choice he got to make because she never asked him. Ooh, that's a great point. So like, I don't know. To me, Obi-Wan's life is like very much destiny taking control and like being like, this is a person that I am going to like direct and that's just the way it is. Right. Whereas, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. We're taking a five minute break so I could go scream in a bag about Obi-Teen. Okay, fair. <laughs> and we're back. Um, <laughs> The power of editing. Um... <laughs> But anyway, with Leia, I just feel like she makes the same similar choices to Obi-Wan in that her she is so self-sacrificing God, yeah. in herself. Mm-hmm. But I feel like she makes those choices from a place of, like, she doesn't have to. She doesn't have to join the Rebellion at 16. Her parents don't want her to. True. Like, she doesn't true. have to go and, well, arguable that she doesn't have to go into the Senate. I'll take that one back. But, like... Yeah, but, she, like, she could have, like, kept her head down like here told her to. Exactly. Like, she does not have to put herself in danger all these times. There are people who will... Like, she's literally a princess. There are people who will do this for her. Like, she doesn't have to be the incredible charismatic leader in the rebellion that she becomes. She doesn't have to join the government after that. She could have easily said, you know what? I've done my fighting and now I'm tired. <laughs> and instead of doing that, she continues to choose to serve for another 30 years and then to s- start the resistance, which again, she could have just been like, you know, I don't like what's happening, but it's time for somebody else to take the reins. And to me, she chooses because she knows that she has the ability to solve things and it's irresponsible of her not to. And so that's, mm. I think I, I think I'm explaining my thinking a little better than I did in the first episode, what I yes. feel like the difference is between... Mm-hmm someone like a Leia in her choices and someone like an Obi-Wan with his destiny. Right. See, I don't, I don't think I agree. I, I think that, um, you know, they, obviously they are both very self-sacrificing and, you know, they're, I think they're both making their choices. Uh, you know, like you said, Obi-Wan could have fucked off with Satine if she had asked him to. Um, I kind of think, and, Hopefully I can also articulate this a little better than I did uh, when we first talked about it in the uh, the first episode on this, but I think that the external forces that kind of drove their decision-making manifested themselves in mm-hmm. different ways in each of them. So, you know, Chris, like you said, Obi-Wan very much grew up with the Jedi Order, which is all about structure, and it's it's more like, this is what you can do, this is what you cannot do. So he kind of internalized that as like a set of hard and fast rules. And Leia, you know, grew up obviously with Bail and Brea, who, you know, brought her up to, you know, think about morality and all this other stuff. And well, maybe that manifested itself in her as like values to live by that she very much, you know, did abide by, uh, as we can see throughout this book and throughout her life. Mm hmm. You know, she's she's doing something usually because it's the right thing, um, you know, whether it's morally or otherwise. Obviously, we see 
uh, in other places, she does the right thing despite, you know, some kind of structural power, Mon Mothma, etc., telling her to not do that. Um, so I, I think that they're both kind of driven to make their choices based on how they were maybe brought up to, you know, think about um, how they should make their decisions. I don't know if that... No, that that makes sense r- to me. Puts a bow on my argument, but... Yeah, um, so I'm gonna pretend I'm Kristen and split the difference here. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think it's Man, hard... burn from all the way across the ocean. <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> it's not a burn. Um, I think it's hard to know with people... Well, with Obi-Wan, kind of just gets dragged around, honest to God. Um, but I think it's hard to know with somebody like Leia where, like, her innate sense of values that she was raised with ends and where her feeling like she has to do things begins. Because I think she's raised to just, like obviously like want to help people and be selfless but like how much of that is her like being like this is how i was raised and these are my values and this is what i'm gonna do um and how much of that is like i can't do words today um how much of that is um her just kind of go like she started you know doing these things out of you know her own free will and then it kind of just snowballs and it's just like well i can't like not do these things now you know like mm-hmm. like it's when like i'm thinking about bloodline when um she when mon mothma get, becomes ill and there is no you know there's no driving personality force in the senate and mm-hmm. she is you know chosen by her party to represent them for like basically another supreme chancellor position mm-hmm. She's kind of just like, I don't want this, but you asked me, so I guess I'll do it. Like, she can't say no. And, like, how much of that is her just being like, okay, fine, and how much of that is her being like, yes, I want this. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, yeah, that is a good point. I mean, I think, you know, (laughs) looking at the rest of Bloodline, like, I I think that particular one, how she was going to retire and then got dragged into this first senator race, Mm -hmm. like... That is an argument for that she doesn't have a choice. And then, like, to me, like, at the end, forming the resistance is is her, like, making the choice to take things into her own hands. But, like... I think that's... I think that's true. It's... But, it, again, it's hard to be, like... she's She knows she's the only person with the, like, political power and personality force or, you know, the, the charisma to draw people together like that. So... So, also, at that point, when she is forming the resistance, there's very few people with kind of the institutional knowledge of yeah how to even bring that about you know we see even uh what's his fuck casterfo like he is a grown-ass adult person um and he barely remembers the Mm -hmm. the original um shit civil war right yes the galactic civil war yes um and it's because he was very young when it happened but you know, it it's kind of like we see in The Force Awakens. People think that the Jedi are a myth. Right. Yeah. Like, totally. Th- collectively, the galaxy has forgotten a lot about 
you know, how life was before. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that, like, what the Empire was actually like and how uh, the rebels, the original Rebel Alliance even came to rise up against that. So totally. I think, um, you know, maybe I can plug my thing on. I think Leia has really internalized a sense of um, duty. And we can set, you know, whatever it may be to, um, whether it's based on her morals or um, the Republic at that point. But, you know, I think she kind of feels like she has to uh, because th- there's not a whole lot of other people who even know how. Yeah, it's true. I mean, building an army from scratch is hard enough. And then add on to that that people don't know how to do that except for her, really, at this point. Makes it a little difficult. Yeah, I think I think we are I think the difference between us, between our opinions is purely don't kill me this is not purpose, purely one of point of view. Because <laughs> Chris get out. That's it. Get out. <laughs> because and well, no. Let me get there because because I'm talking Must myself I? into you guys are right. Must I? Um uh, do it. <laughs> <laughs> um but because to me, I'm thinking of it as we know that Leia has choices. But what I hear you both saying is that, like, her life experience and the totality of her world and her value system does not allow her to view it as a choice, like not a serious choice. That is a very good summary of what I've been trying to say. So thank you for yes. making it words better than I could. Yes. <laughs> no. Also... And- no, I'm I'm very happy to and honestly I'm I can get on board with that with that analysis. Haha, uh-huh. <laughs> Daniel, Chris is wrong again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One out of seventy-nine. <laughs> hey, that ain't half bad. Oh, friend of the pod. Hi, Daniel. Um well then. Um yep. the other thing that you I wanna say you put on here. Yes. Kate. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit about like you know We've, we've talked a lot about the Force and free will, and does the Force itself have an agenda, um, you know, on pretty much every single past episode we've ever done. So, um, I'm just wondering how much we see the Force acting in Leia's life, because we know from the book, at least in this span of months of her life, she, she feels a connection with the Force one time. Like, actively feels that connection when she's um, saving Kira when they're swinging across the chasm and this fucking dum-dum didn't tie his rope correctly or whatever the hell. Um, But we also know that behind the scenes, around this time, Yoda and Obi-Wan are discussing which of the twins to train. And Yoda's vote, of course, is Leia. And Obi-Wan's vote is Luke. And we know this from, from a certain point of view. Um... The story there is another, and I can't remember who the author is off the top of my head right now. Uh, um, and there is another. Yeah, I want to say it's Gary D. Schmidt. Okay, sure. Keep talking, I'll find it. Okay. Um. So I don't know. It's I. Don't, this is not necessarily a question we can answer, and I feel like Leia becomes more force. Now, maybe maybe not more force sensitive, but more attuned to her connection with the force throughout her life uh, as a result of finding out that she's Luke's sibling, but, you know, how does the Force, if at all, factor in to any of this? I mean, 
if I were to just kind of speculate, I would say yeah. that, you know, I think, at least in the movies, we've seen the Force kind of try to guide people along in their decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, I'm uh, thinking about in uh, Empire Strikes Back, you know, with Luke, when he gets a little Force ghost from Obi-Wan that's like, fuck off to Dagobah. Yes. And then he hears, <laughs> you know, he figures out that Leia and Han are in trouble, and Yoda's like, don't fuck off again, and yes. he fucks off to Cloud City. You know, he doesn't he doesn't have to do that. I don't know if that's the argument I want to make. But, um, you know, he, by all means, logically should be staying and, like, training in the Force with Yoda and learning how all of that works, but then he gets a little nudge saying that, like, his friends are in trouble, and so he takes that and goes off to save them. So, I mean, I'm sure... I can't think of any specific examples, but I would imagine that um, the same thing might happen to Leia. Yeah, that's... You know, if... Yeah. If if she feels any... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Pokes in the side from it. I think that's such a tricky example... Though, just because, you know, we also have in the movie Yoda being like, just just ignore it. It's, it's totally fine. <laughs> uh, sometimes you just don't listen when you have Force visions because mm-hmm. reasons. <laughs> so. Like your dad might try to kill you. Or... Yes. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> um, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like, I think we've said before in the canon, Leia really only gets uh, Force boops. When she or other people are in, like, grave fucking danger? Uh, yes, that is all that we have so far. seen so far. We have, like you said, with Kier in the chasm. We have in Bloodline with the napkin bombing. And we have, obviously, The Last Jedi. Okay. And also, obviously, she has a very strong connection to Luke because Space Twins reasons. Yes. Um... Okay, just double-checking that, because I'm just kind of like, I don't know. Like, again, it goes back to this question of how much, I think, uh, free will people have, because the Force will give you nudges, but you don't necessarily have to pay attention to it. And I don't necessarily know that we've seen... Have we seen yet people kind of, like, ignoring the Force and then winding up into whatever situation the Force wanted to throw them into anyway? Uh, one might argue Ahsoka. Is that, like, Oedipus style? (laughs) What do you mean? Well, it wasn't, like, the whole thing, just, like, the fact that he found out he was gonna, you know have sex with his mom and like lose his eyeballs and then he was like no i'm not gonna do this and so he, he actively tried to not do eyeballs. that right and then he had sex with his mom and lost his eyeballs <laughs> this so is... i just wanted to make a nerdy joke there and it was it was a perfect moment so that was that was an excellent that was that was great that was i'm sorry Full i made marks. you explain it Full thank marks. you for bearing with me this has been classic literature <laughs> classic literature pod <laughs> full marks from your mom who's an English nerd who really wants to get into grad school. Grad school is not listening to this podcast, but please let me into grad school. Grad school, Jesus. Anyways. Um, while we have a moment, it is Gary D. Schmidt who wrote There Is Another. Thank you. 
great. Wait, um, so I have a follow-up question about that. So did you say earlier that this was about the time in the canon where they were having that discussion? Uh, Am I just... No, I think that happened as Obi-Wan died. Okay, well, that also was not my guess, so... What, the discussion of... In There Is Another, when Yoda and Obi-Wan are talking. Are you sure? I think so, because I, it, like... I thought it was, like, after Obi-Wan died, he just, like, at some, like, shows up on Dagobah at some point, like, during the timeline of A New Hope, and it's just like, what up, I'm dead, can you train this kid for me? Yeah, I, yeah. So, as Obi-Wan dies, give or take an hour. So, it's, but it's not as he dies. He's not dying when he's just, like, having this, like, mental brain cycle, like, telekinetic conversation, wherever the fuck. That's true. Use your words better, I said, as I don't use my words greatly at all. Um. <laughs> um anyway, to get back to the Force. Um, I, I mean, th- 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 there's so much we still don't know, and I don't think we'll ever know about the Force. But, mm-hmm. like, at least I kind of hope we never know it. I mean, but, I, I mean, half the fun is that it doesn't make, I mean, it makes vaguely cut some kind of sense but that we don't know yeah exactly but um i mean i feel like it is to me the force is more something that has like general wishes and generally Mm -hmm. likes the light side but like doesn't take huge like it's kind of of like the watchmaker theory of like Mm -hmm. if any of you remember your like high school history it was like isaac newton's like theology theory was that like god is like the watchmaker and that he sets up everything so that the universe can prosper and, and then he just leaves off. it alone yeah, yeah exactly like i i kind of feel like the force is like that with like a couple nudges here and there mm-hmm. like you know maybe the events of rogue one are a nudge uh, or other things like that but like um so to me i feel like you know maybe the force puts people and in this case specifically leia in these positions to have these important moments but like i don't think the force has like an all-consuming plan like i think it is up to the leias and the obi-wans and you know the luke's and the characters of the light side to seize the moments that they're given and like what the dark side does is that it like tries to like harness the force and like take it for its own and you know just control it more than almost the like going with the flowness of the light. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is the point of the Force not balance, or is that just me being brainwashed by the Jedi? No, the no, point of the Force it's... is balance. I think what's been in more in flux as we move from like the George Lucas school of slash Dave Filoni school of the Force to the Ryan Johnson school of the Force is what does balance mean? Yeah. Yeah. So does, you know, does balance mean light side only? We have banished all dark side users ever, or does it mean equal amounts of both or somewhere in between those two? So, yeah. yeah. And that's, and you know, again, I don't think we, we definitely don't know that now. Mm-mm. We'll see if we ever do. Cause I mean, you know, just as to expand on what you said very well, like for those who haven't watched the Clone Wars or are less familiar, obviously. Or Rebels, honestly. Or Rebels. But I'm specifically thinking of the Mortis Trio. Um, yeah. Where there are actual physical manifestations of the light side, the dark side, and, you know, the center who, you know, keeps them in balance. And that's like a equal and opposite situation, which is 
kind of feels weird looking back at original Star Wars. And mm-hmm. it like kind of feels like George's vision evolved a little bit there. And then you look yeah. at Ryan Johnson and his like, no, like the light side is the way. And like we get ba- we preserve balance by the light side working on the light side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, welcome back to Noise Pod. If you hear weird background noises, that's our hamster chewing on wood. Pork chop. <laughs> I didn't Instagram today because I wanted to take a picture of him with Empire's End for National Love Your Pet Day, and then he was sleeping all afternoon. Well, you can remedy it later. I will. Miranda, you were saying. Oh, pork chops chopping on his wood. Mm-hmm. How many wood would a pork chop chop? <laughs> well, the answer is a lot. He fucking loves chewing on wood. Just, just so everybody knows. Um, <laughs> uh, noise pod is also pork chop pod. Every pod should be pork chop pod. Yeah. All right. Anyway, does okay. anybody else have anything else to say about the force before we talk a little bit more about Leia? The force is weird. Yeah. Period. Yeah. No <laughs> arguments here. To the end. All right. Um, this is a little bit tied into what we were talking about in terms of like Leia's choices and such. Uh, so I wanted to talk about, you know, obviously we have six-year-old Leia, who we haven't seen her except for a snippet really in Rebels at this point in her life before. So I just wanted to talk about who she is as a youngin and how it informs the politician and the grown-up and the resistance leader she becomes in Bloodline. Yeah. So I think the easiest way, like, without you know, looking too deep into it is just that obviously in Bloodline, like, she's seen a lot of shit. She's more mature. Mm-hmm. But I, I think specifically we can see that in um, kind of her, like, youthful idealism when she's 16 and she finds out that her parents are involved with the rebels or, like, that they're starting the Rebel Alliance and she's she's really into it and she, like, wants to go out. She wants to help. She wants to go, you know, even outside of that, like, try to do good in the galaxy, um, taking the refugees in, doing whatever. Uh, but she, she's just very excited all the time. And she, that's, she's doing it because she wants to be involved. Whereas Definitely. later in life, like we were kind of touching on earlier, she's doing it almost because she feels like she has to. You know, she she wants to retire from the Senate and then they nominate her to be the first senator. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wants to fuck off with Han and like explore the galaxy. And then she feels like because the First Order is starting to rise up, she has to start the resistance. Right. So I think, um, you know, as she's grown and matured, she she's very much aware of, you know, the consequences of her actions and her decisions and she knows, you know, kind of the impact that can have, not just on her, but throughout the galaxy. And she's, she feels obligated to do it, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, another thing that I think is the same that you can really trace a dire- direct line in her character. And one of the reasons, honestly, why I love Claudia Gray's writing play so much, because she gets her exactly right, is that... All, all throughout the original trilogy, we see that Leia loves getting right into the, into the middle of things, like getting her hands dirty, um, you know, shoving people into a trash compactor, etc., etc. And we see that here. Like, she wants 
maybe not to be on the front lines, but she wants to be active. She wants to be doing things. And that's one thing that she says in Bloodline that she misses about, you know, being older and being a career politician is that she doesn't get really get to have adventures anymore. And for her, uh, I think the difference between, you know, having adventures with Han versus all the other sorts is that she wants to adventure, like, with a purpose. She wants it to mean, her risk to mean something. And I think you, we can really, really see that in her younger self. She never loses that, that wanting to just, like, you know, hop on a speeder in the forest of Endor and murder some motherfuckers. You know what just made me sad? Completely unrelated to any of this. Okay. I just realized <laughs> we're never going to get Han on Resistance. Remember when we found out that Resistance was about racers and we were all like, obviously they're going to have Han somewhere. Nope. Oh my god, why would you say that? Now I'm sad. To me? Now I'm sad. Why would you say that to me? Why would you say that to me? Because if I have to suffer, so does everyone else. Oh my god! I wanted so bad to see the Five Sabres competition. Yeah. So bad. Yeah. Guess I'll cry. Well, while I cry, you can keep talking about this. Yep. Um <laughs> To me the the biggest, you know, thing that her beginning teaches her the rest of her life is how to deal with loss oh god and like oh, fuck you <laughs> rude you know, obviously we hear it from holdo but like she learns wow from a very young age how to deal with loss but understand that it was necessary Ugh. and like kira's the perfect example of that because like it was it was literally necessary like it would have been disastrous if kira had not died and like to me, that is what makes her... So sad inside now. I know. Well, that that's that's what makes her such a unique leader, though. Because it's, you know, it's very much the the storybook, like, is not afraid to lose people, but feels every single one of them. Like, it's like what you want in a leader. Like, and it's that, you know, she gets that here. And that's how she already has it by... Uh, that's how she already has it by A New Hope, where mm -hmm. she doesn't give up. The rebel base, even when her home planet is being threatened, because on some level, you know, even though she tried to fake it, like, on some level, she knows that, honestly, the rebellion's more important. Yeah, absolutely. It's... And, I mean, we, we talk a lot, too, about how Leia never really has a chance to mourn in the original trilogy. You know, we see her comforting Luke after Obi-Wan dies, and, you know, the joke is that, like, holy, like, you lost an old dude who you knew for a about 48 hours and she her own entire plane it blew up why is she comforting you <laughs> yeah but also i mean i i think that you know if we want to spin that a little bit more positively i think that speaks to how strong she is and how used to this sort of shit she is like luke just is literally fresh off the farm has never you know had a hard day in his life really when we think about useless it twink yep <laughs> correct <laughs> useless twink pod oh my god stop <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, but yeah, no, she's she's a person who's very familiar with tragedy and personal tragedy and just kind of soldiering on. Yeah. Very depressing, by the way. Yeah. Like, that's that's terrible. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, we, we celebrate her as a very strong character because she is. But, you know, the way that she got there is terrible. It's horrifying, isn't it? Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, like, well, no, never mind. I was going to talk about how Le how sad Leia's life has been, but mm, she she found I happiness. Think we... She made it work. I don't want to talk about it. 
Ugh. Yeah. Not a hot, the opposite of a hot take, but I'm never not going to be upset that Carrie died before nine. Oh, great. This is sad, this pod, actually. Yeah. Wow. This is why I kind of wanted them to recast. Yeah, well. I understand why they didn't, and I don't think it was a wrong choice, but yeah. that was just my personal opinion. Yeah, not necessarily. Like, it, it got, people signed off on it who mattered, so. Exactly. Whatever. Like but. I said, not a wrong choice. Yeah. Just, you know. This is what I was thinking in my head. Yeah, I feel like we've we've oh. talked about this opinion that we have before. If you want more details, I don't know what. Just, the just fuck. listen to the previous seventy-eight episodes. You'll find it. <laughs> oh, this is very unrelated, but I just like had a thought, and it's very sad to me. But like, what if they did like a flashback of Leia? Yeah, and like had Billy Lord do that shit. Oh my god, how dare you? I mean, considering I still can't get Sorry. through R2 playing the message in The Last Jedi without crying, I would probably die. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Sorry for that. Speaking of crying, can we talk about <laughs> Bale real quick before we... Ugh. Well, okay, I want to talk about Bale as a politician before I talk about him as a, as a, as a parent. Okay. Because let's just, like, ease into the pain. <laughs> um, so I want to talk... Uh, briefly about how obviously uh, Bale was a mentor for Leia as a politician, you know, of course among Mon Mothma and others that she met through her father's work, but he was her first role model, obviously, because he's her fucking dad. Um, So obviously, like, she gets her moral integrity from him, and that much is clear. Like, she never stops having that, you know, that, that, that moral compass that Bale and Bray gave her. But I just wanted to talk about how she is different from him as a politician. Uh, I think probably the most obvious example is that Bale's really, really, really reluctant to dive into armed conflict with the Empire. And while Leia doesn't just, like, rush headlong into violence, she sees very easily the necessity of it. And, you know, when she has to start up the resistance... She's like, well, it's time for this. And it's, it's not a whole lot of hemming and hawing she does, really. She's just like, there is evil here. And it is growing. And it is ginormous. And we have to do something about it. Yeah. And I think part of that could be because, you know, they obviously both had experience with war in their youth. Um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, we see Leia fighting the good fight uh, in the Civil War. But, you know, Bale lived through the, the Clone Wars. He was a senator. He saw it all. And I think the possibly the big difference there is that things were not okay after the Clone Wars. Like, yeah. nobody, neither of the sides really won. It was just right. Palpatine. And so everything went to shit, and, like, fighting for the Republic didn't really seem like it was maybe worth it anymore. Whereas after the Civil War... You know, things were not great. Obviously, they had a really hard time starting up the New Republic and kind of wrangling all the different systems in. And, you know, even after Endor, the war lasted a little longer. But I think the the outcome of that was more or less good for Leia than it was for uh, Bale after the, the yeah. Clone Wars. And so she saw war as something that could... You know, obviously terrible, but be a means to a more positive end. Yes. Whereas that was definitely not the case for Bale. Yeah, that's a great point. 
Yeah, I was going to. I had a whole I had a whole metaphor lined up, and then you just completely talked me out of it. <laughs> and so now I want to build on yours because Yay. I think yours is better. I love when this happens. Um, Thanks, so Dad. to to yes and Miranda, <laughs> Bale knows what it's like to lose a war. Mm. Because obviously the fighting in the Clone Wars sucked, and the Republic ostensibly won, but everything Bale was was rooting for and fighting for lost yeah like the jedi lost the republic died his one of his two best friends died in padme oh god yeah and so like he knows what it's like to lose and so like i feel like one of the things with leia is leia doesn't actually know what it's like to lose sure i mean she knows what losses are obviously because they didn't win every single battle yeah she knows she knows what losses are but not on a galactic war scale right like on, it's on the battle scale not on the war scale exactly and and that's like who does at the end of, like who who knows what it's like to lose at the end of the day like it's that's not something not the youngins yeah yeah that's not that's not something that you know the mind is meant to comprehend and so like it's i feel like that's part of it and that's part of leia's we will do this because we have to and we will win because that's the only option attitude comes from but like you see and you see mon mothma too looking back at um her story and from a certain point of view a contingency plan by alexander freed like she knows what it's like to lose too Mm -hmm. and that's why she's like you know what we can't do this anymore yeah like because it can get worse and i feel like bale is very afraid of losing after the Clone Wars and after the rise of the Empire. And of course he has so much more to lose now. He does. And arguably the galaxy does too. Mm-hmm. Although arguably. Shouldn't have said arguably before because I'm going to say it now. Arguably they didn't because they all came around to the opinion that it was better to go out, you know, in flames than it was to stay under Palpatine. Ugh. I have a lot of feelings now. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Bale was kind of like. I'll go back to my original metaphor because I found a way to tie them in. Uh, like, you know, like, whenever people are like, I don't know, it's something, it's like a white people idiom, but like the frog <laughs> who's dropped into boiling water and immediately hops out versus the frog that starts in cold water and then it like slowly gets heated up and it doesn't notice. Like, I feel like to a certain extent, Bale in, you know, the 15 years between Attack of the Clones, or wow, uh, between Revenge of the Sith and let's say a year before this book starts is that frog where he like, you know, is fighting to make things better, but doesn't want it to be armed conflict. Doesn't want anybody to get hurt because his view is we need to do this so that it doesn't get worse. Right. I mean, the as is noted in the book, his, his whole thing is just like, what am I willing to risk? I'm also, you know, partially in charge of an entire fucking planet. Mm-hmm. Like, do I risk literally everything and stuff that he doesn't even necessarily have ownership of you know yeah and it's and it's and we've talked about this before too in the parallels to real life of Mm. you know how white people feel about politics versus how people of color feel about politics and like like there's the view that it can always get worse which is what bale has early on and what often white people do and then there's the view, which Bale comes around to, which Leia has, and that people, like the truth that people of color know, where 
it it is already as bad as it can get. And like I feel like Leia's yeah. awareness of politics, she was only ever dropped into the boiling water and forced to stay there. And so she is like, you know, she her whole life is hashtag this is not normal. You know what I mean? Sure. Like so, I feel like, and, and she, we know that she was raised that way because she was always been very aware of what is actually happening and how absolutely fucked everything is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's the difference between you know that I see between them, and obviously Bale comes around, and Brea helps bring him around, and they mm-hmm. are they they both realize that war is necessary, but that's kind of my view of how the how they get there in different paths. Mm-hmm. So to continue depression pod. <laughs> yeah, right, Jesus. <laughs> uh, expanding a little bit, talk about both Bale and Brea. Um, so obviously we haven't had a lot of content with the both of them, and especially Bre- Brea shows up for like 0. 0.5 se- five seconds, like to be like, "Oh look, a baby." End of movie. <laughs> uh, but I obviously, so yeah, I I I've always been wanting more. Bale and Brea stories, but I think I didn't realize how hungry I was for that until I read this book because now I'm like, oh, there's just like, there's just like, it just opens up this entire world of like, you know, you know, their pasts and uh, what's obviously this book is from Alay's point of view, so we don't really have a po- full picture of what's been going on behind the scenes for clearly a, a far longer uh, than. Leia is aware of, like, mm-hmm. I don't think she's even f- fully aware of, like, how long this is, the rebellion has been brewing between the two of them and their co-conspirators. Um, but yeah, this is, this is the first time we're really, really seeing them. And I, obviously, like, we knew they were good people because how could they raise a person like Leia and not be good people? But it was really also refreshing for me to see them be like real people and Claudia Gray is also so great at this you know yeah. they're they're a married couple they love each other a lot but they've been married for a long time and you know we uh, Chris and I talk a lot in this podcast about our marriage honestly but like Chris and I have been, de- been together for a really long time not as long as these two but we've been together for a fair, a fair amount of time and there's you know that saying that at the beginning of the relationship there's a whole lot of passion and then it grows into something more you know it, that plus companionship or whatever it is and you know a lot of i feel like a lot of younger people are always just like oh but that seems so boring and you're old people now and stuff like that but we see exactly how much that really works um not only in this book but i feel like in real life like i feel like we know that firsthand um not everything is perfect even after decades of marriage like they they have arguments they fight they annoy each other but they make it work, and they not only make it work for themselves, but so they make it work for their daughter, and they make it work for their entire fucking planet. And that was just, like, a nice, like, super, super realistic thing to be seeing, I feel like. It was nice to see Bale get mad, to build Why? on what you were saying. Like, it's, you know, yeah. it's nice that they're just not perfectly composed all the time. Like, yeah. it's it's nice to see Bale lose control and, like, just... Like, feel the entire weight of what is pushing on him and what is pushing on his daughter mm-hmm. and lose it. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. The end. Um, I, <laughs> no. I'm kidding. So I'm not married. But, like... Big if true. <laughs> okay. Rude. 
<laughs> wow, what, what the shit fuck, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking delightful. <laughs> no, but so, you know, Kate, like you were saying, we we do see them fight in this book. We see them piss each other off. But it, what's really refreshing and also like good for the galaxy ultimately is that you know, despite the fact that they're you know, not always seeing eye to eye, they do have the same end goals in mind. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're pushing towards the same thing. They want to raise their daughter well. They want to topple the empire. Um you know, it's you can see like that they still very much are a team, even mm-hmm. if there is conflict. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like, you know, if you want to take relationship lessons from this book, <laughs> I've, I, you know, they definitely have, they have the same values, absolutely, like, and that's, like, you know, the core of them as individuals and with each other, like, as you, as, like, as you were saying. Yeah, it's a partnership is what it is. Exactly. Like, it's... Like, Bray is queen, but, you know, she's, like, she's not just, like, I don't know, being a fucking dictator or whatever. I mean, she jokes to Leia when, like, Leia hates doing math. She's like, oh, just find yourself a viceroy who's good at math. Like, Which is the cutest thing. Like, and it's like, adorable. It, it is adorable. And it's a joke. But it's also, like, you find someone who, oh, Jesus, I'm going to punch myself in the face. But, like, to <laughs> to be, to be like, really, like, pain in the ass meme about it, you find someone who completes you and who can do the things you can't do and, like, have this partnership and, like, I feel like that's super real. Like when you look at like successful marriages, like, you know, it's really hard to think of successful marriages in America right now. But like, <laughs> you think of something like the Obamas because we all love the Obamas. Yes, that's right. And if right. you don't, then get the fuck out. I know. Um, But like, and you see Barack and Michelle and it's very clear that that is a marriage where he is or was president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world. And there's not a goddamn question in anyone's mind when he sets foot in the door to go home, they are on equal footing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like, and I feel like that's what it is with Bale and Brea too. Absolutely. And it's abundantly clear with the Obamas as well that, you know, they put work into their marriage. You know, they've, this has been a, this is an ongoing process and it's not necessarily easy, but you do it because you love each other. Exactly. And then, you know, Bale and Brea too. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, that line, since you mentioned it, about the, the doing math made me giggle because Chris is the one who fucking reconciles all of our bank accounts at the end of the month because I can't fucking count. Asians who can't do math. I Yes, that's me. Our favorite <laughs> Cards Against Humanity card. <laughs> um, So now I'm just internally giggling. It's fine. We're really gross sometimes. Occasionally. Occasionally I like you instead of just roasting you on Twitter publicly in front of hundreds of people. Yeah, one out of 79 episodes. Dozens. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) And that's a wrap on episode 79 of Book Wars Pod. Um, That is part one of our wrap up. Part two will be dropping next week. Um, Be sure to check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, you can also find us via email at bookwarspod at gmail.com. Um, please do rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy the show. Um, Book Wars Pod on all the things. 
you can also, uh, if you wish, and we would encourage you, um, check out the rest of the Tashi Station uh, radio podcasts. Um, that is our parent network. Um, you can also find the Mega Feed, which is just all of the network podcasts in one spot. Um, so rate and review that as well if you're in the mood to do so. Um, and if you can, please donate to the Tashi Station Radio Patreon. Um, that helps us cover production and hosting for this show and all of the shows on the Tashi Station Radio Network. Um, if you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at Kofi. Uh, uh, you can give us coffee. I'm not doing this again. You can give us coffee at uh, ko-fi.com slash bookwarspod. Um, we are 60% of the way uh, there to our uh, Star Wars Celebration Chicago goal. So, you know, if you've listened to the show before, if you um, donate coffee to the pod, we will put up uh, pictures of the official hamster of the pod, pork chop. Um and those are really cute, and I encourage you, if you have the means to do so, to donate uh, coffee so everyone can benefit from the pork chop picks. Uh, our theme song is Whiz Bang by Potting to Bear. Our logo and artwork are by Joby Terror Design. I'm Kristen for Chris, Kate, and Miranda, and we'll talk to you next week.